Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma Sambuddhasa, Buddhang Dhammang Sangam Namasami. The Buddha's currency is wisdom and compassion. So we have to look very carefully. Many of us think that we have very good vision and we try our best to have. Excellent vision. People wear glasses. In fact, glasses are sometimes considered trendy. And we wear them for computers and all manner of things. But is that really the kind of seeing that's going to make us wiser? Just through the eye, through the optical organ? Is that the seeing that will give us wisdom? It depends on what we see and how we see and how conditioned we are in our seeing. I think it's important for us, more significantly when we're meditating, we should examine how well am I seeing. And if we're suffering, are we able to see the suffering? Are you able to be with conditions as they are? Can you see your suffering? Don't wait until you're sick or old or dying to see your suffering. That's really important. But to see it when you think you're not suffering. When I first became a nun, one of my family members asked me why I was doing this. And I tried to talk about the Four Noble Truths, and I said, because I'm suffering, and I would like to find the end of it. And he said, well, I'm not suffering. We think we're not. But all through the day, how many moments of suffering do we experience? Think about how much suffering you experience. Does no one... Here, have any suffering? No suffering? Zero? I do. Absolutely, I have suffering. Life review. Why did I do this and why did I do that? All of us can do that. To review and to see and not be scared to see. Because exactly if we don't see that, then what's the point of the Buddha's teaching? But I think that underneath seeing suffering, and very important to add on to the seeing of the suffering, is the question of, why am I suffering? If we ask that question, then we will be bringing in the second noble truth. This is paramount. Why am I suffering? You don't have to go to the past. You can look here in the present right now. 
and notice there's discomfort in the body or the mind is wandering, you want to be somewhere else, the floor is too hard, the lights are too dim, the body's too stiff, the food isn't good. There's so many reasons. They may be superficial, but the mind will become tight. And when the mind is tight, contracted, distracted, protracted, shot off into the future, running back into the past, whenever the mind is unable to stay with the suffering and study it and see it for what it really is, then we are in a state of suffering because there's no peace. Where is the peace in a mind that is restless or faithless or fearful or anxious or wanting something from the future? What am I going to get? Where can I go? And if we can study that state of mind, if we can look at the origin and then investigate that, then we'll start to notice that there's a self bound up in it. So yesterday, I talked about how all the conditions of our life can be a source of teaching for us. So all the ways of life can be the means of our deliverance. They can be the great escape, believe it or not. But the Buddha says, I'm quoting now, on one condition only. What would be the one condition that we could escape our suffering through studying these conditions of our life and through knowing them for what they are? What is that? So Anattapindika asked the Buddha, what is that condition? And what do you think the Buddha said? The Buddha said, whatever we're observing, all these ways of life, which can be the means of our deliverance and bring us to great peace, can only do so if we're not looking, if we're not holding to, if we're not acting from a self, a me and a mine. Now you could say that's Nibbana, but not quite. Even before realizing emptiness or this great peace, we can look at the conditions of our life without identifying with them. And that non-identification can bring us to Nibbana. So the Buddha says that if we look without a tainted view, with right view, which is not tainted by thoughts of self. And then the Buddha says, it is not enough to give up your wealth. As long as the least thought of self remains, it will spoil all our beneficence, all our goodness, all our understanding will be spoiled. So you can offer dana, you can be virtuous. But if the mind is not wise, wisely seeing, seeing the conditions of life, not from a place of, I am this, I am that, I'm the body, I am these conditions. Even if we say, I am nothing, but we still believe that we're nothing, 
then we're that no thing. Then we go around being nothing. Because we're still clinging to an idea. It's not an experience yet. It's a thought. It's really important for us to experience that nothingness. That not being a selfness. That not attaching to a self. So meanwhile, with all that going on in our minds, we're still very attached to the body and the mind. And if the body is hurt and we're in pain, we look right away, how do I get rid of this pain? We take medicine, we go to a doctor, we are trying our best not to suffer in these ways. Pain is not an easy condition to be with. We've all experienced the pains of life and we've all experienced this looking at our pain through a self. And what we do or what we try to do when we're meditating is to study and observe what we're experiencing through the observation of objects arising in consciousness moment by moment, by stilling our mental formations, by being more and more quiet from within. And when the mind is truly still and quiet, then that truth of non-selfness will speak out. It will inform our consciousness. And we will experience a moment of not being a self. Within this conglomerate of body parts, of experiences, of different mind states, of different kinds of knowing mind states. We know it as this, we know it as that, we know it as something else. But that knowledge that knowledge will heighten and deepen and sharpen into an insight into the emptiness of all these phenomena. There's a very interesting verse in the poems of Hafiz, a very famous Sufi poet, And he's using the language, of course, the language of other religions might be God. But if you think of God as the unconditioned, something that we are seeking to realize. He says, what is the sign of someone knowing God? And I'll say Godness, that which is truly beyond the conditioned world. A young woman once asked Hafiz this question, and he said, Dear, they have dropped the cruel knife so often used upon their tender self and others. And that really describes what we do. We have this sharp knife. And we keep applying it 
inwardly and outwardly. I think what he's referring to is the critical mind, the judging mind. So we either cling to the self out of one form of conceit or another, praising, comparing, or criticizing. And when we are free of that notion of I am a self and we're not attached to that, then what could we experience towards ourselves and others? What quality of mind would arise and prevail? Compassion. Isn't suffering the opposite of compassion? Yesterday, someone asked, how does gratitude function when we're trying to overcome fear? And if the mind is fearful, what do we experience with a fearful mind? The mind is tense, it's contracted, it's self-concerned, it's self-centered, self-self. Do you hear a lot of self in that? And what does a mind that is grateful do? The mind that is grateful looks with benevolence, beneficence upon the giver or upon the conditions. Within gratitude, there is metta. There's also karuna. There's compassion. Because we feel a goodness. And the heart opens to that. It opens and receives that. So gratitude is an opening of the heart. And fear is a contracting. Suffering, very often with suffering comes fear. So suffering is a product of fear or it's a cousin of fear. It doesn't matter about the words. More I'm trying to go to the quality of the mind that accompanies these states. What is the condition of the mind? It's sick. It's like a patient in a hospital. Oh, give me the medicine. And then you receive compassion. Ah, you feel happy. Even if somebody were to come and whisper a beautiful word in your ear, for a moment you would forget your sickness. Thank you. You'd feel grateful. And then, oh, sick again. But you're a great being. You'd be fine. Thank you, thank you. Oh, and the mind does that. It keeps vacillating. Because of our kilesas, our hindrances, the mind isn't able to settle. So gratitude can help the mind to stay close to compassion, stay close to skillful mind states, and oppose the fearful mind. And in the same way, compassion can reduce our obsession with our suffering. Or obsession, our obsession with some other condition outside of us being the cause of our suffering. Like when people are disagreeing with what we think and, and they want to argue with us. But if we have compassion for their point of view and we say, well, you know, maybe you're right. <laughs> and we just give in, we surrender. 
not because we may not really agree, but we just don't want to fight. We don't see the point of it. So we just concede so they feel happy. That's compassion. And that we can grow that into they are so caught up with their opinion. Let them have it. Here, keep your opinion. I don't need it. And then you have this feeling of greater peace in your heart because you're not fighting about opinions. These are important things for us to contemplate. And our spirituality, our spiritual development really depends on our ability. You know, you've heard this word over and over, oh, just let go. Let go. But we need tools to let go. And if we can look at the opposites of the causes of our suffering, one by one, even go into the state of suffering instead of running from it, go towards the painful feeling and study it and see where is the self in there? Where is the clinging? And then try to let the mind go towards Something within us, within the body-mind process. I say us, but I don't mean a self. Within our experience that we can bring up here and now to raise an attitude of gratitude, an attitude of compassion, an attitude of blessing. What is the current blessing that we have? Are we breathing? even if it's gratitude that we're alive. Even if we have, we're on our last breath, we can have gratitude that we lived and feel gratitude for all the love we've received. There's always a space for that to occur and to be developed and broadened, expanded, to cover our suffering, to distance us from it. Because, in fact, if we are obsessed with our suffering, then we're attached to it. We have an inverse way of creating an ego around the suffering. And we do that when we're children. We do that so that mommy will give us a candy, more candy, more chocolate. To taste our present moment experience is to see it. Otherwise, it may be just on the level of concept. If we see our experience deeply and know it as anicca, it's impermanent, it's suffering, the suffering is in our face, so we can study that. All phenomena are actually arising and passing away. So if we don't take it personally, we have come a long way from being obsessed with it. So to find that space of distance from I am a suffering being, and instead to use the suffering as the way, it is the way to deliverance from suffering. It is not apart from it. 
Suffering is a teacher. And out of it, we can draw compassion. We can draw skillful mind states. But we have to remember to do that. How many times in our meditation practice do we not do that? We just get disturbed by our thoughts, caught up in our thoughts, wanting to change the past, the future, wanting to be different, blaming our dukkha on external conditions or on our internal condition or our body condition without realizing that no matter what we get in life, we're going to have to let it go. So it's not by getting more things or by having more experiences, but to seeing correctly, seeing our present moment experience as impermanent suffering and not who I am. It's empty of any self. There's no one in there. That's going to be, it's not a holiday, but it's freedom. It's much better than a holiday because holidays, you'll notice, are impermanent. You have to come back. And there's a lot of self in them. Then you want to show everyone the photographs. In fact, the holiday isn't good if you don't have some proof that you were there. But it's true. The project is about seeing. Can we see clearly? What am I doing? And then study Meditate, and it's good when you read the book to see if what you've been doing in your practice is similar to what the elders and what the Buddha said first and foremost. And if that's too complicated, then study some of the more accomplished writers who have good experience of meditation, because they will be able to describe what could be happening, or the mechanics of it. And then we can compare, oh, I could be doing that. Well, and then try to follow those instructions more and more precisely, rather than assuming we can just sit there and let ignorance roll over the mind again and again and again by not seeing correctly, by not following the instructions correctly, and by seeing and knowing from a place that is tainted by the knowledge or the belief in a self. This is not something that happens quick. Maybe for a very few people, it, it's a quick release. When you learn how to drive a car, at first, you, you need somebody next to you to tell you what to do. And only after a lot of practice do you get led out on the highway. You have to be a certain age and you have to have a license. We start little by little, slowly getting used to the whole thing. It's, it's a, a balancing act. We've been trained for so many years not to study the mind, just to read books and memorize things, formulae, and learn complex stuff, and everything is outside, outside. 
then you might take a psychology course, a philosophy course, but still thinking, thinking, thinking. And it's still convoluted, it's complex. But the Buddha's teachings point us to simplicity and to one direction, seeing in one way and pointing the mind in one direction towards stillness, not towards movement, towards trust, not towards doubt. What was that I I read? I think he was a Japanese philosopher or poet, and he said, Westerners like to conquer mountains. Orientals like to contemplate them. As for me, I like to taste the mountain. And this speaks very, very well to what we're trying to do moment by moment as we taste the present moment. We're not trying to just go from one breath to complete freedom from all suffering. We have to taste the present moment deeply and know this moment as a kind of ambassador of every other moment. This moment is a representative of every other moment that we have to study. And every other moment is going to be different. But we have to invite it and taste it in the same way. Exactly. If you study one piece of bamboo, you study bamboo. But the same truth can be known about the breath. We don't have to know each and every breath. But what we should know is that some breaths will be experienced as pleasant and some will be experienced as unpleasant. So then we have to look deeper at the breath and see that the unpleasant breath is impermanent. And even the pleasant breath is impermanent. So don't get so disappointed by the unpleasant, but stay present with the conditions and know they're impermanent. And the same is true when things are pleasant. Don't, wow, let's do this forever. Because you know that the pleasantness will quickly feel old and after a while it will be unpleasant. Your favorite digital device. In two years you'll want to trade it in or less. What about the body when it stops working? You can't trade it in. What do you do? So we have to see what is the source of our happiness. It's not in pleasant or unpleasant experiences, but it's in being able to taste experience and know what is true about this. What is the truth that we can learn about this moment? Is it permanent or impermanent? Is it suffering or non-suffering? Or is it empty? Can I control it? No, it doesn't belong to us. And it cannot give us ultimate happiness. So we let it go. You let life flow. You don't hang on to moments. You let them go and you receive the next one with a let go mind. And then we can learn to taste the mountain. 
because we taste the moment. We taste the mountain. 